0: Do you have a photo of your dad nearby?
1: Um... I do, actually. I do. You want me to get it? Yeah,
0: I do. These are some flowers for Linda. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back. When I asked my friend, Nana Kwame Ajay brenya to join me on the third episode of this Flowers for Linda audio zine, I didn't realize that I'd scheduled the conversation to be on the third anniversary of my mother's death. This felt like a special kismet because just after my mom transitioned three years ago, I was on the phone with Nana for work and learned that he had lost his father a matter of months earlier. Nana was, I think, really the first person in my peer group who I was able to share a frank and honest conversation about recent death with. And it was a relief for me to be able to talk without worrying that the other person would be uncomfortable or feeling pressured to say the right thing to me in response. It was incredibly meaningful for me to be able to open up that way. Now, fast forward three years later, and Nana has now blurbed a book I edited. He's about to host the book release conversation as moderator. But we're earlier in the timeline. The book comes out. And Nana is the only person to call me on the day of the book's release and say, congrats, of course, but also, (laughs) it can be a lot of energy, Kate. How are you really feeling? And of course, Nana knew to ask me that because he'd experienced putting out a book himself and the exposure and vulnerability that comes with that. Although on a much larger stage, Nana is a phenomenal fiction writer. His book of short stories, Friday Black, is nothing short of brilliant. And among many, many, many other accolades is a New York Times bestseller. As compared to my project, which was supported by my job, it had a community of voices with it, I was the editor, I had some protection in these ways. But in any case, the point is, Nana knew to ask the question. He knew it was more complicated than just a high-five moment. He knew that it was about to become a pretty high-octane and potentially ungrounded next six months for me, and turns out, it was. Not that he said it in those words exactly, but later we could relate about it. So it only made sense that after this long absence on this podcast, when I wanted to return to this project with more intention, with the idea that I wanted to go deep into the conversation on grief and offer others that kind of gift that Nana gave me that day in 2019, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's no surprise to me that the conversation turned out this beautiful. It was meant. Nana showed up in these two moments where I really needed him. And now I hope that this episode shows up for someone else who needs it, whether they're putting out a major project or struggling with the loss of a loved one or both. I asked Nana to tell me about his dad. I asked him, does he get, you know, like spooky signs, so to speak, that his dad's spirit is hanging out? I asked him to tell me the story of putting out this major life work and then losing his dad in the same season. So... We'll start today with the club that Nana invited me into, the Dead Parents Club.
1: The Dead Parents Club is like, it's a club that everyone will join, but no one really t- talks about ever. And I've also felt that sort of isolation. So I think I tried to make it a point to, now you sort of have a certain type of keys that you help. Part of it is like, you know, you pass on the word, sort of. Um, but yeah, so with my father, he actually died a little bit after Friday Black came out. He got to see it come out. He was um, probably, I think, uh, maybe six, seven months after the book came out, he passed. It. He had the like, cancer, like the long kind, you know, or like the longer kind. Two or three years. We were like two and a half years. We were sort of like doing the whole cancer thing. And it's and you you asked me to get a picture, and it's fun, it's it's nice because I'm seeing him before that era where he was physically emaciated, you know. And in these pictures I'm looking at, it's funny. He's kind of like a ham, like a. <laughs> He was a lawyer and he liked to like you know pose like in front of his like legal books and stuff like that yeah he he was uh, often a really funny guy to many people especially like people outside my family but to me for a long long time he was kind of like a antagonist figure actually you know mm. dads are hard you know i think that uh just before he got to actually we were probably as close as we ever had been i think i started to understand like responsibility in a family context more and I understood differently, like, wow, like all the stuff this person had to overcome to become who he was, which is like kind of like to me, almost insurmountable. Yeah, he was really, really a lot of things. And I'm I'm kind of getting more and more comfortable, like accepting that uh, and knowing that and being okay with that and being like sort of extending grace towards that. It's been, um, he passed in 2019. And so it's like, you know, I've had a couple of years under my belt now. And it's still a journey, you know. Still, uh, still, sort of this marathon. I think that my dad passing, um, just like sort of in the same era f- as my first book coming out, felt like like particularly poignant. But I'm realizing now that if my book could have came out now, it still would have felt particularly poignant. I think that my book could have came out five years later, would have still felt like something pretty tough. So, and and I've actually and his life and his sort of like end of life is really. It's hard for me to distinguish that period from book stuff at all. Actually, his name was Dennis, or kajo he was sort of like a funny guy, kind of like, but he could also be really, really serious and really, really like strict. And he was a lot of things. And, uh, you know, I do definitely miss him. I was raised very, my parents are Ghanaian. So that's like another way of saying it. I was raised like super Christian, very Christian. I've done catechism classes, but I've also, my mom speaks in tongue, all of it. <laughs> Had like the hands laid on me, you know what I mean? Well, and also I, for a while I felt pretty connect, disconnected because when I went to Ghana, I found stuff out that made me like sort of like almost cut myself off from my dad. Cause I was just like so much, I was like just challenged by like new discovery, <laughs> which like maybe one day I'll talk about like a memoir or something. But, um, when he passed, you know, I would sometimes just noticing things or like seeing, um, like I would hear a certain song. I wouldn't heard in like years and years and years that I, that I knew was his thing and like, you know, I would hear it and it would just pop up and it just felt like a, a way to stay connected to him or to notice him or think of him and also it would also be prompted by other people who would just be nice and mention things and like say and remind me of something that like maybe they just thought to bring up because they knew what had happened or just because they they told me it had come to them um maybe I f- almost like as if like because i was just feeling more cut off like he went through them to say to tell me uh this or that but um mm-hmm. I'm open to all, to everything though. Like even though I I always have like I think I always have like one foot in one foot out because like I've also seen like the very very predatorial aspect of like certain type of like spirituality practices. Like I've been to Benny Him in like the giant stadium before. Benny Him is like that pe- that Pentecostal pastor dude who'd be like healing you by like, you no know, you're healed you're healed, healed sweeping his arm across. And, wow. And then, and yeah, I can imagine
0: off. that. We, we, we come from totally opposite ends. I come from like needing to find it. And you're like, listen, I, <laughs> yeah, then
1: I then don't he, you know, trust this. Then he takes off in his private jet. Um, right. right. <laughs> but now... I mean, if you're an artist, I feel like it's so hard to think there's nothing, you know, there's something and I don't know, just there's something I know for sure, just because if I'm with someone and I'm standing next to them, I can feel them, you know, but I, I feel very open to those type of spaces, even if it's just a feeling in my head that like makes me move towards or away from a direction or something. I, I, I feel very open to those, even though like I sometimes don't like to put a name on them or try to formalize them too much, but I do feel very like open to all of that.
0: No, I feel you. And and I'm I'm like, is it something my psyche is creating or is it some, and I don't really care. I choose to see it as a little bit magical regardless of the mechanism behind it.
1: My therapist is the kind of therapist who had me get my chart done. So like, and she's not clinical at all. Like she, even though she does do some like, you know, regular cognitive behavioral stuff, she's very like connect to source, stay aligned. You know, that's like our biggest thing. So I'm, I'm with that type of shit for sure.
0: Can stay connected to source. Stay aligned. Speaking of, okay, that's like actually a perfect transition, I think, to talk about this kind of mess of a, a mess of a cauldron of soup of emotions that come with, you know, putting out a major project in the world. And speaking of artistic practice, I want to talk a little bit about you know, what it was like um, to have these two huge moments in life colliding. Uh, and, and you know, more broadly, like, uh, I think there's, you know, I, I see it with my friends, you know, and myself. There's so much uh, envy of that moment in a creative journey. And what I have discovered is it's n- not an enviable <laughs> moment to be. I mean, when you're in it, it's, it's a very uh, conflicting in a lot of ways. So I, I wanted to kind of go... Within the grief, beyond the grief, kind of talk about that moment, you know?
1: Yes, it's a, comp- it's a hard thing to, to, to sort of put into words. And I'm going through it again, kind of, as I have the second book getting ready to come out in April. Like, if you are a dedicated or obsessed person, the pursuit of something creates the shape for your life. Not only the shape, the shape and the story of your life, or at least the overstory while you're ignoring a certain kind of understory for me for a very long time like this pursuit of something which eventually became named book and eventually became named author and all this stuff was like the obsessive sort of pursuit i had that was like the overstory against um the real story which was like i'm sad that i feel like my family's become splintered or disconnected and because of and i and i'm saying it's because of a lack of resources and like the d- d- diminishing um Sort of physical spaces and eviction and blah 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 money stuff. So so for for a very long time I was dedicated, you know, to this thing. I I, I just told I've been telling people this moment right now. Even though I am still working on my second book, I'm it's the first time in my adult life. I'm technically not working on a novel on a, on, a, on a fiction project, even though I have one. I'm just actively trying not to start and like to work on any stories right now. And so that's who I was like, if I go to a party, if I do with that secretly, I'm like always thinking about this other thing, you know? It's more or less, you know, people make it seem as though it's more or less impossible. People tell you all this stuff. And I never ever really believed it. It was like, I just had a, I fully was engaged in this like impossible thing. And I don't know why I chose it. Maybe it's a calling or maybe it's because it's free. I think a lot of it's both writing being free that is. And then in my case anyways, you're, you've been trying for this thing pretty desperately. You already did the MFA thing. You've you figured, I've gone through the like, oh, let me try to be this other writer and fail. Then we try to be this other writer and fail. Then we have a breakdown and I've done that. And I'm starting to figure out like, you know what? I think I know who I am, at least in terms of my craft. And I put the 10,000 hours in, so to speak, or not so to speak, literally, very literally actually. And I always remember exactly where I was. My dad called me, I was it was like one of those rooms that are meant to be like very like safe spacey, like beanbag chairs. I I was running this program that was like meant to like, sort of help use creativity to help us deal with the stress. This is the year uh, Trump won, it's 2016. And um, my dad called me to tell me he had cancer. All right, and and it was almost like my anxiety, my neuroses to this point was like, I told you, like, there you go. Like you should, so uh, you're late because you should have already had, uh, by this point I'm 25. I thought I should have had a book out by age 20, you know, because I had already been, I'm already several, several years into this like pursuit. Like it's more and more obsessive. And now it's, it's, and it changed from being like the secret obsession to like this more public obsession and towards the end of my college career. Now I'm, I finished MFA. So three years after my college and now I'm at Colgate on that good thing, on a fellowship. Uh, he told me that. And because rather than like deal with the hardness, the the difficulty of like seeing and hearing that, my mind went straight, almost straight to like, okay, you get that shock feeling, that sadness, and then my brain went straight to the place it always goes. It's associative. Like, let's create something. Let's make sure this happens. And I and then I and I made. I basically told. I I actually told my little sister like, okay, I'm going to sell a book in the next three months, and that's going to help us like figure out this stuff because dad maybe won't be able to won't be working anymore, and my mom had already not been working for a long time. And I got my agent like, not like month and um she sold the book on three days and so so talking about like signs and all that stuff i got that book deal on my 26th birthday on march 7th like naomi called me that day to offer me i didn't sign it but that was the day she offered me and i was in that room again that same room again actually so the same room i found out about the cancer like literally same room i i heard about the book deal so that happened, right? So that's why I say like the 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 link between the book stuff is like, and my dad's like sickness is very, 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 very connected.
0: I mean, it makes total sense. You know, the response to an out of control, out of your control scenario that's profound is let me take some control. Let me create something.
1: Yeah. And I've been doing, I had already been doing that for a long time since my mother had gotten her own sort of like mental health and sicknesses. That's when I became a writer. It was like, so it's always been that way, which is why my relationship, so anyways, <laughs> but that's why my relationship to the writing is, I feel like, like many people, it's not, I don't think it's a special thing, is sort of like mar- marred, but also like maybe beautifully marred in like art, like some kind of hard stuff.
0: I mean, you know what I've thought about though, on the other end, my sister said to me, you know, you have all these ways to process losing mom, you know, you 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 you're creating all these Projects around it. You're writing a novel, or the character lost her mom in high school, you know, you're you're doing this podcast, whatever. You write poems. And uh she was like, you know, that's really lucky. And I, I do wonder like, what do people without creative practice do to process their inner life?
1: I know what they do often, anyway and it's not healthy. Um indeed. But- maybe this is an, this can and can't be healthy as well. I'm not judging nobody, you know what I mean? I I also do those other things. If you did like a a survey of half the people who ran a, do like a marathon, I guarantee you like at least like half of them will be like this is my way of processing something hard. That's hard though because everyone can't run a marathon. Everyone can, you know. Well,
0: can, you got to find you got to find your flow, right? You got to find your thing.
1: Yeah. And um and so the book comes out and then, you know, I've had lo- like a pretty long runway. I think it was a year and a half of like doing the revision thing and working through stuff and figuring out stories. And while well, my dad is up and down, up and down, right? Like we actually had the full remission thing. I ran onto the streets of Syracuse, like crying with joy. Cause we had like the remission, you know, like I felt like I beat cancer. I'm like punching the air, like Rocky, um, that's the, those things that can make it like, you know, like that's the real, like when you, when you thought you won, but then you're looking like they don't look any better and the neuropathy is there and now their nerves are, it's like pain all the time. And anyways, so now the dream is happening though, right? The dream is like occurring or about to occur. And I have a short story collection. And so people are kind of like, yeah, if you do this, like, you know, the thing they say about short stories, it's not going to do anything. It's going to be, or like, they're pussy suggestion is that like this is like a cute little thing you did until you do a quote-unquote real book, meaning a novel in fiction anyways um i never ever subscribed to that i had to take the deal for i took it i I had to accept ten thousand dollars for the book ten thousand for the first book forty for the second i had to front load my thing because of my dad can't work my mom there's like nobody working now right (laughs) (laughs) um but then the book does actually come out and it does like, you know, stuff that it's not supposed to be able to do most, I guess, tangibly for some people uh, become a bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list. And um, several other things are happening. You know, I'm getting respect from my peers, which means more than me than anything else, probably. Like people like Colson Whitehead and Roxane Gay. And obviously George Saunders is my mentor. My, and I could have like my pace setter. Um, have acknowledged it really well, but I feel very, very far away from any type of sense of like the happiness I think you might expect from like accomplishing the goal or whatever. But there's nice moments. I get to travel for the first real time. I had never really traveled for fun um, or otherwise. I'd been on a plane like two times, I think before I had a book. Wow. Um, mm -hmm.
0: Now you're probably like
1: very well-versed. Oh, now I'm... (laughs) Now I'm Delta Rewards. Now I'm in the Sky Lounge. You know what I'm saying? With all the other assholes, all, this, all the other bad people. Excellent. Um. Um. So, but yeah, I'm. So now I, the book's starts happening. I have to go on tour. I go on a really intense tour. My, itiner- my itinerary for that first shit I went around the country. You know. Were um, you
0: ready to talk publicly? You're so young at the time.
1: No, I was very very stressed out about it but i also realized i'm from new york luckily um i i taught as well so i can kind of like do the thing you know what i mean i Mm could like i had to i had to like just dive into it and so i had i I, on stage i actually learned to like have a lot of fun right before going on stage i think i'm going to die you know (laughs) but when i'm up there it it gets kind of I, I I don't feel I feel like I do a good job. Do you archiving. feel like you
0: get into a little bit of a flow state? Like I always feel like I get I out of that and I go, What did I say? And I and and so, once in a while I'll listen back and go, Oh, well, it wasn't half bad. But in the moment I'm like, I get off and go, huh? What did I just I black out at? for real. I, yeah.
1: <laughs> a lot of times I black out and then I'll say something, people are laughing, and then I'll like realize, like, oh wow, why did I say that? And then I'll go back into it. That's how you gotta be though when you're really in it. Um I think so too. So it's like this, it's like this game I'm playing though. And now the illogical sort of like deal I've created is like, if I do good enough on tour, my dad will be healed, you know? And I'm going, if I do, if I do well enough with this book, which has always been the implicit argument I've been made with myself, right? That's what I've always, even before he was sick, it was like, if I do good enough, everyone will be saved. Um, We won't, there'll be happiness. Even though I was, what I was saying was, that's why I had this, this section of the prophet, which like was really like life-changing for me, that Khalil Gibran, is he here?
0: Well, you always just walking right into my next questions.
1: Got it right here, and so my I have a good friend who had me um open up to a random page, and I opened up to the section on houses, and for a long time houses had been my home thing because we we've had a house foreclosed and we've been evicted like home that was like my thing like in the back of my secretly you know, mm. and I got to the section that ends with and tell me people of Orphalese what have you in these houses and what is it you guard with fastened doors have you pieced the quiet earth that reveals your power? Have you remembrances, that glimmering arches that span the summits of the mind? Have you beauty that leads the heart from things fashioned of wood and stone to the holy mountain? Tell me, have you these things, have you these in your houses? Or have you only comfort and the lust for comfort, that stealthy thing that enters the house a guest and becomes host and then a master?" And, <sighs> I had realized like, wow, I really, really like, I thought like if if we had a better house, everyone would love each other more, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, cause that's, it's hard to talk about like anger and guilt and distrust and sadness and unwillingness to talk about mental health and all these things. It's easy to talk about like, well, poor and money, you know, it's hard, but easier. And um, so that's Circumstances
0: was, versus emotions, of course it's
1: way easier and that's there's language
0: for it isn't there
1: and capitalism always asks us to think about that as opposed to the real feeling of anything um and so i would go out on tour and go back to my dad now he's in a rehab center and like update him and it would be like it'd be like the way to close the loop of like every trip which is by now kind of wearing on me now i'm starting to realize okay like i'm kind of tired i'm kind of scared i'm like this is like too much but eventually i went to australia And before I went to Australia, I knew he was going to go get this procedure. We talked about it and we like signed off. I was his proxy. We signed off on it, whatever. And more or less, that was kind of the last time I would talk to him for real because he never really recovered from that. Hmm. So, as far as in Australia, while he did that, in Australia, which is like, that's also a weird place because I remember as a kid, there were like these school trips that they could, they had for like certain people in these programs. And I, I remember asking my it wasn't through the school, but it was to some other thing. I remember asking my dad, like, wow, this is so cool. And my parents were like, Are you dumb? Like, you will never be able to do this. It was expensive. <laughs> mm. <laughs> They're basically like, get the hell out of here, you know. You know what I mean? And I got back and he had a tube and he couldn't speak. And it was really, really hard. And more stuff happened. But anyway, so that's like the the journey of it. And so after he passes. um of course you're just really sad i felt i remember feeling that real, like actual physical heat like in my chest like people talk about that i really felt that i know i was i was in my ex-girlfriend's house um in her in in her room and then i was like three in the morning so i went to the living room to have a conversation and they're telling me like do you want to come now or do you want like this weird logistic conversation she was like kind of annoyed at me and i was like just seriously miss like And so, yeah, then I then so uh, then you just kind of keep going and figure trying to figure out like now what do you orientate your life around? Because not only one of your parents is gone, but also you kind of acquire the thing that was supposed to be like this, you know, solve for all ills. And it was not and it is not a long time I'm like i'm that person trying to go and get it i'm not the outsider i didn't go to ivy league school i'm from da 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 i'm you know i went i went to suny fucking albany i'm from i was I'm from spring Valley rocking county i was born in queens i'm not like i'm not white i'm you know what i mean a, a, all these like and and i'm still gonna do it <laughs> and then you then you have to start okay now okay sure you did that now who are you you know and so that's been that was a really hard process but um after like the initial like mega grief, there was like a bliss period where I was so 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 understanding of everyone. Because I I remember feeling like, wow, I feel so bad, and everyone acts like everything is fine. Like the day after your, I always think that I, I, this will be in a book or something. But like, the day after or the day your dad dies, someone was going to ask you how are you, mm. and you have to and you have to say something to them. <laughs>
0: You know, i don't know if i would say that i experienced that i think i had a less generous orientation at first so i think at first i had this kind of razor sharp clarity and then i you know i could never sink into a total depression because i was also at a, high, a career high at the moment i mean not not quite as intense but in my own way very busy responsible for a lot couldn't really drop the ball i'll know? be more intense maybe maybe not you know i was i was at least not traveling you know but I think i felt actually a lot of resentment resentment that people didn't know what to say and resentment that people didn't check in and couldn't talk about it and all i kind of wanted to do was talk about my mom and my experience and who she was
1: i was a little resentful because because I, I don't have like a like an older person to like parent me through it i guess um i remember so i find out right that i have to call and I'm the one who they call, and I gotta call my mom, and I gotta call my sister, and I gotta call my sister, but because of so other circumstances, even my mom is not the person who could do that for me. I don't blame anybody because I've heard people tell me about their parents dying before, and I I'm I had to go back like, oh shit, I didn't know what they were saying, because I was like, dang, like I have access to therapy, even though I wasn't doing therapy then, like an idiot, but I, I'm struggling a lot, and no one knows. <laughs> or they're not, if they if they know they're not doing, they're not responding in kind, you know? right? Even people who know me really well. And it just made me so much more generous because I was like, this is everybody. It made me realize just how sometimes, like how alone you can be, you know, and how much you can hurt and still be going to like a store. Like, yeah. you know, like you're gonna break down into Target one day and everyone's gonna just be like, whatever, you know, and like, so that, something about that made me like, I was, when people be like tweaking and doing shit I didn't like, I'd be like, oh, like they're hurt bad, you know? And it really made me get the, like that hurt thing because I I hadn't understood my own capacity to feel bad until this had happened. Like I knew I could feel pretty bad. Like I've had loss before. I lost my grandfather my mom's mental health has been like a long, 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 super painful thing. But I was like, oh, this is like a palm right in me, you know? And I got like walked with like just like half my face blown off. I started, I I just, I could hear people better. So, yeah, I, uh, I, um, what did I, I didn't like one time I was out here, I'm in the Bronx, someone asked like, Oh, how's your dad doing? Which I appreciate it. It was the day he died, the day after I had to say it, even saying it out loud, but even practice. That was in the beginning. You have to even practice saying it out loud. And he was just like, like, damn, I'm sorry. And I, and I, and the, and I felt bad because me saying that had like fucked up the vibe. It was, just, it was a couple of people like on the block, you know, for like everybody else.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm familiar yeah, I, with that feeling too. <laughs> like I fucked it up.
1: You Did know? you say,
0: do you remember if you used the word died? I also found that people had such a hard time seeing death or died. It was like passing, transitioning. I like transitioning. I use it a lot, but I was like, damn, like we're so uncomfortable with the word die.
1: We're uncomfortable, but in America, and I've and I, I gotten more and more into like the, you know, over the years, thank God, I'd already been doing the meditation stuff and more, I'm getting closer into like the you know george is a pretty serious buddhist george sanders a pretty serious buddhist and my my therapist put me on to people like Mm Technahan, who's like you know those kind of thinkers and basically it's a bit tibetan tradition at least death is like so much more part of life people understand it to be a part of life in a way that americans are very 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 disconnected from i want to read this
0: one line can you give me one second i'm gonna go get this book that i'm reading because I think it's just brings it so full circle for me. I want to share with yeah, you. Hold on. Please. Um says the archetype of the life, death, life force is grossly misunderstood throughout many modern cultures. Some no longer understand that Lady Death is loving and that life will be renewed through her ministrations. In many folklores, she receives such sensational press that she carries a sight and harvest the unsuspecting, that she kisses her victims and leaves their corpses scattered behind her, or that she drowns them and then wails long into the night. But in other cultures, such as East Indian and Mayan, which take more care to teach about the wheel of life and death, Lady Death enfolds the already dying, easing their pain, giving them comfort. She is said to turn the baby in the womb to the headfirst position so it can be born. She is said to guide the hands of the midwife to open the pathways of the mother's milk in the breasts, as well as to comfort anyone who weeps alone, rather than vilifying her those who know her in full cycle respect her largest and her lessons. And I I really thought that was so beautiful and it kind of deepened my commitment and desire to you know, really, you know, I, I feel I per, feel a personal calling since my mother passed to really be with um, grief and death in a, in a way that I think I have something to offer others as a space, which is not anything I ever expected would open up in my life. But, you know, by yeah. circumstance did, you know, and I, I I personally have experienced a lot of gifts from my mother and her passing, you know, from her, from the experience. I choose to think from her yeah. You know, it's taken my life on whole new paths, new relationships, new ways of being in the world, um, new ways of being in partnership, new challenges to push through in terms of like my own patterns and breaking them, negative patterns. and And it's also given me story. It's given me purpose in my creative life, which is... You know, kind of a hard thing to reconcile this idea that, you know, my mother's voice in my head now is o- not always what she would say in real life. Like, she's like, you yeah. got to write your book, you got to finish the book, the book, you know, you've all these other projects, we got to finish the book, Kate's and in real life, she'd be like, well, you know, like, don't quit your job. But you know, if you, if you enjoy it, make some time for it, like, you know, your pipe dream. But in my in my mind, now that she's passed, eh, you know, the voice is like, much more connected to my instinct. So I'm curious. With all that said, if if you feel like you've gotten any gifts that you can articulate, it's a hard question to ask somebody because no, it feels. it's not.
1: I'm. It's not because I'm at. The, I've, I've passed that place where I can hear that. My therapist asked me the same thing. What are the gifts? Like the worst things ever happened to you, given you, you know. And there's a lot. Like I said, like I have way more clarity. I'm. I'm. I'm much more generous. I understand. What it is to be personally very hurt and how it can flatten the world down it makes me care about life more you know i it made me an adult like for real i care about life and people's not suffering a lot um i've had so i wasn't going to say this because like this is even this part's like kind of hard for me to say out loud i guess um <laughs> So I'm the proxy right i I'm the proxy i all decisions have to kind of come through me that matters a lot when someone's like intubated meaning there's a they can't they they are there's a thing making them breathe that's what I mean by that a machine very very painful for people um life support basically um My dad, you know, some people like talk about cancer, like, oh yeah, this and that. like, you know, at least they didn't suffer. My dad suffered a lot with his version. I would say for the last year and a half, he was like in like pretty much constant pain. Um, The uh, intubation, he did a procedure that forced him to have to go to do the intubation. When I was in Australia, I came back, he couldn't, that's why I say that's when I spoke to him. I saw him, I kind of communicated with him in small ways, but he couldn't really speak anymore because it it wouldn't, he couldn't breathe anymore without the two. Um, I remember very, very, very specifically and clearly my dad basically being like, okay, so if you had a proxy, there's a such thing as a do not resuscitate, you know? And, uh, yeah, this is like a harder thing to say. Like, it's just like a sad thing. Um, the, 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 um, if you, if you sign it, they're, they're not going to like, try to do like the clear thing and the whole, you know, CPR try to bring you back to life basically. And so when he started getting like pretty bad, it was gonna happen, like, you know, like where he's not alive on his own anymore. And he's eventually going to transition, die, pass, whatever you want to say about it. Um someone has to sign that thing now. And I remember them telling me about it. And like basically, and I and I remember oh, they they use when they, they like to, use to say the word dignity, you know? They like to use that word a lot. When you hear that word <laughs> Something bad's happening soon. They start talking about dignity as a way of saying like, you would rather someone like pass without like extending their suffering as much as you can. And like, you know, whatever. And so that's a really, really hard decision to make. Obviously I remember like in a way that I'll never forget, obviously intubated though my dad telling me like that's it like tapping out more or less Mm. like being conscious enough to be like no no this is too much stop it now when you talk about like resentment i do kind of resent having to be the one to make the decision and have to be the one to do that but i did do that you know and i know what that is and because it is that like that person that comes to end like a really really intense suffering i mean really really intense he was a tough guy and I really respect how he did it. You know, I, I know where I signed the do not resuscitate hey, like the charts here are, like, on the wall, but I always think about how like my name was on that paper forever, forever. It's like this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I really hate that I had to even be involved. <laughs> I wish someone else could have done it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, you know? I do not like that I had to be involved in it in any sense. But it's very true. It's very true. I've seen it. You know what I mean? When you've seen that, you're a different person. I've seen that. And I had to do that. So there's a lot of like bullshit that doesn't affect me no more. Bruh. I had to sign that paper in in the Bronx, in the Moses campus of the Montefiore Hospital, you know? And I don't talk about that that much because that's i'm not that great with that part that i had to do that yet but
0: i'm really honored to hear the story thank you yeah um
1: we have, do we have to log out and log in again
0: we do might be yeah. a good time to take a breath too huh yeah perfect yeah all right take a breath my friend i'll see you in a few minutes i'll text okay. you Boom. Hey,
1: feeling? I'm okay. I
0: was thinking that in between this moment, when you just shared that, uh, painful and beautiful, painfully beautiful, painful. Maybe just painful. Maybe too, 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 too hard to call it beautiful. I'm, I'm always on well, this line. I think of, um, of, of not wanting to diminish the pain of it, but also the kind of deep raw hu- 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 not even just human life that's imbued yeah. in that you know moment
1: I I I met this some this girl at some party or whatever and monster we became friends she like I she said like her her mother had died I think 2018 we had already like had like one of those like you know like we see you that look next like I love you you're saying I love you to a stranger kind of thing that <laughs> but she said something really like challenging that I got because I've heard I was able to, I was I've just been in this space where I get it now. She was like, she got to the place where she felt okay to say, like, I'm glad your dad is dead. That's like a quote she said. And I and she was like, and I want you to tell me you're I'm you're glad my mom is gone. And she clearly was like super deeply affected by her mom passing, like it's like she loved her mom. She's like, I want you to say, say it to me. And I couldn't say it to her, but I know what she meant but I couldn't say it. And I just thought, like, dang, like, and she, you know, she, I don't know what kind of spiritual practices she had and she might have none, but pe- that's the thing about a lot of this stuff. It, everyone has access to it. You don't need to go to likes, but she also was a doula. So maybe that helps on some level. Like she was a doula. So she's like interested in that part, the beginning part too. So maybe she has more, whatever. I don't know how. Well,
0: you know, it's so, it's so interesting you tell that story because what I was going to ask you is was there, maybe to share like a critical moment, um, when like a piece of this grief experience kind of integrated into you when you, when you got to like the next level, like what helped you get to the next moment. Mm. And before you answer that though, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you think she meant.
1: I think she meant first off, like the things that are going to happen have to happen. So I think she meant non-resistance like first, like big non-resistance and and she also meant you're who you are now and i'm who i am now because of this and i'm happy for that
0: you know what's amazing about that to me too because it definitely creates a a visceral reaction in my body to hear that right like oof, even though i get it too but i i think when you clear your mind you know those things kind of settle in and uh, one of the kind of notions I got was uh, that, you know, there's no ego in death. Like whatever happens, whatever you believe happens after death, you know, I just don't believe that people carry their humanness into that next form energetically. So it freed me up to be able to think about things like my dad moving on and dating or, you know, things that were, my parents were together 40 years. Um mm-hmm. You know these things that I found difficult on a very egoic level, like this idea of like, am I betraying my mom? Is someone betraying my mom? And I just got like, there's no such thing as betraying someone who's dead. Really, at this point, yeah. they're not. They're not part of this experience anymore. So we, tr- you know, it, it helped me almost. F- as kind of sound blasphemous to some people, I'm sure, but I actually think it's a very sacred notion, a very freeing, very liberating notion.
1: Yeah. And especially if, like, if you believe in like love as like this sort of like energetic, like force that we all come from and return to. Yeah. And if I, I think that people who pass would be happy for us to do the things that make us feel like in line in that love space. So. And I think they let go of a lot of their own ego stuff, which was keeping them from expressing or exhibiting that stuff too. So um, yeah, it's, it's hard though, because it's such a different place. And I, and I, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an important thing to like explore in writing. Like every time I've had like post-life things, i try to get to that, like that idea of like, we're holding so many burdens, but our real selves are so much, our higher selves are so less, so much less encumbered by some of these like more human low frequency things
0: what space do you do you need to be when you write i'm i'm, I'm curious about that and thinking about I, I think in the last six months i've been in more low vibration frequency than i had for a long time before that and i'm kind of coming out of it and i really see a difference um for myself i like to believe that i write through mm, my pain but really i i usually write after i've digested it (laughs) it's not usually like the thing in the muck that gets me through it's usually i'm in the muck psychologically i talk about it i express sometimes i have to feel it in my body and then later i can write sometimes it's just too soon
1: yeah i think the crisis points are like the spark it can it opens the door but you can't go through until you start really it's like that's level one and so i think that for me i try to be in the headspace where Especially now, I try to get to like, I I'll like calm myself down. I'll bring the noise down. I'll try to get to that more clear place. I think in when you're really, really present, it's easier to be really, really aligned and really, really connected. And so I try to go from there, you know, and, and sort
0: of also paradoxically, like more human. Yeah. Even though you're sort of ascending, it's like an honest toggling that to speak, is us. between, right?
1: That's our real stuff to me. You know yeah uh a lot of the stuff are, is more like i mean they're also human but they're more like projections, the projection the projection, projection it's more like you know those other so like when we're when we're tapped in and you're present you can really be with the work on like a really 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 close level and and you could also tap into the part of yourself that you may not always have access to like when you do the meditation stuff or sometimes you're, you start feeling, wait, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm not thinking, I'm in this other space. And I think that's the work when it's at its best gets there. And the re- reason I like revision is like, I want to have that feeling for every single part of every single thing I wrote sort of energy to feel like it exists on every single section, every line or word possible.
0: I love that, and it really maps to to what I've been doing lately as well. And I, I didn't you ever before because, like I mentioned, I never really had a, a a practice that put me in that space. But lately, I've been trying to be very intentional about it. I have so many little things floating around in my brain that I'm like, where do I hook onto them? I think I'm going to go back to the question of a critical moment when you experienced a kind of you know new level of of dealing with or a new in- integration of the grief journey a moment that you remember kind of going, oh, this, uh, okay, I can I can do this, I'm feeling different.
1: Because I think the second Father's Day that passed, the first one I was just bitter, and look at everyone their fathers that are alive. <laughs> the second time or third time maybe, I can't remember, second time I was driving around, I had to go home, I think I went to the grave or whatever, I also felt You know what i centered on my one of my best friends my father my godson i'm like he's a dad and i remember that i'm in a different place than i was
0: that's a beautiful beautiful example and a beautiful shift and i think i really relate to that feeling i i Mm. remember really battling with the same feeling the first mother's day that came around when my mom was gone and i remember being very intentional about texting the moms in my life really trying to do something to counteract the emptiness i felt to like put something in the place of it which was or maybe a better metaphor would be like to grow some flowers around the the grounds you know because yeah. i was like let me fill this emptiness with all the beauty that i that i do have all the gratitude that i do have for other people you know playing this like very quintessential role <laughs> in the world you know it's like that major archetypes mother and father it's huge you know?
1: It's yeah. huge and it continues and it's so uh, the thing about this particular one again like the, the paradox of it or the interesting thing everyone should go through it this and and in the in the in sort of the buddhist like space they talk about this a lot like this is the price of love regardless that's part of it like that it's like liking i, I like i really like heads but i hate tails no you gotta like the coin what it means to
0: live and what it means to risk openness to another person i mean th- these are the kind of things that i'm like st- still you know deeply thinking about that have now this other lens of of death not just losing love or worrying about losing friendships or but really like losing somebody in their physical form that was so fundamental and <laughs> whose body i came out of literally it's you know
1: huge.
0: it it makes you really it's um, huge and this yeah want to live without regrets When you really think about it, right, not not in a in a uh, not even in the cliche or the kind of overstated sense, but in a really embodied sense. I remember thinking sort of similar to things you've said about, you know, having more tolerance. Although I don't, I don't always, it's not like I, I didn't like flip a switch. Like I have to like, remember and stay in practice of it because I can definitely, I didn't, no,
1: I, it's I, not linear for zone. me. I had a really good week. I had like a great week. And then I was like, wait, fuck everybody again. But I that remember is- it though. I remember being like, basically like a monk. I was like, oh shit. Like I'm like outside of this. Like I'm not like playing the same game as everybody right now.
0: And if you can remember it, you can find it again. And one of the things that I've learned to say to people that have lost people who, you know, as you know, it becomes like a magnet. You draw people when they need you. And one of the things that I often say is I know, or I can imagine because I felt it anyway, that it's kind of like, how the hell is the, how the fuck is the rest of the world going on when my mom's dead?
1: Somebody's that person every second of every day, you know? That's what I. That's what fucked me up, but also in a good way. I was like, oh shit, that's someone every second of every day is feeling this, <laughs> and we're acting like everything's fine. You're just like, why are you not feeling like the world
0: is destroyed? It, it it's it's it, exactly. It's, it's in part resentment, but I think a larger part of it is like the surreality and the largeness of the psyche to even like wrap around. I think I find it a really hard thing to hold on to. And I, I think these kind of conversations represence it for me in a really profound way. So, you know, I, I asked myself the other day, you know, like, why am I doing this project? I was kind of getting on myself like, Hey, you didn't put out another episode. You only put out two people are going to be, blah, blah. and I'm like, first of all, nobody's looking. Second of all, I wanted to do this because I need to have these conversations to keep these lessons present in my, in, in my everyday. Otherwise it's easy to let them slip away when you're not in the really, yep. in- moment of it, but you do remember it and have access to it. We have to remind each other. Maybe there's a good place to end. And I'm asking this because I'm realizing that uh, I've always, or for a long time, I kind of subconsciously separated out, I think, like the intensity of life from humor and joy. And I'm trying lately to kind of bring those areas those poles cliff together and see like see the realities that they like they're like intertwined as well so i wondered if there was ever a moment of humor that came through this process that that really helped you oh
1: so so many um but that's how i see things though i did see things that's pretty funny like i said my dad also told a lot of jokes what was happening we laughed a lot when i was taking back and forth to the hospital like we laughed about a lot of things I doubt it was probably a size like 36, 38 on a waist. By the time he, when he was really sick, he's like like 27. So I remember when I'm trying to help him walk to the thing, his pants just kept falling down. <laughs> but the biggest humor is about the incongruity between like the reality of death and like human and like our current society's like non admission of that.
0: Humor would be a generous word for that. I don't think I'm there yet.
1: <laughs> I, I, but I, that's that's my humor though. You know, that's my style. My humor is all about like this, like really fucked up things. Like that's what I find funny. Because yeah, that day when that was happening with his parents, I I did not find it funny. Mm. I found it very very upsetting. Actually, you know, absolutely. But <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and so to me, like the funny is always just like how weird and dumb it is, and it could be different.
0: I mean, even even if you want to think down to the level of we wear pants, period.
1: You know, people (laughs) wear pants.
0: Pants are a thing. (laughs) Uh, Pants are a thing. All the norms of our strange society that's so far from you know the 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 way we started. As even when you're
1: dying, you're expected to wear pants. You know what I mean?
0: Isn't that wild? Isn't that funny?
1: You know what I'm saying? That's funny to me.
0: It is funny.
1: (laughs) That's the thing. So, yeah.
0: Well, thank you, Nana. I mean, we could talk, I feel like for days about all of these things, but I feel like, I I feel like that, that feels like a natural place to end. Uh, How do you feel?
1: Um, I feel beautiful. I appreciate the time. This is really nice. Uh, yeah, this was, uh, helpful for me as well.
0: That is uh, my greatest hope. Is that these are helpful for it? It, do- it doesn't work if it's not, does it? <laughs> can't be one-sided. Yep. It can't can't be only beneficial for a person. It has to it ha- has to be everybody in the room, in this room, in the room of the listenership. You know, it has to feel like meant. And I, I really appreciate how much trust you gave me in this experience. And um, yeah, well, I know somebody's going to listen to this and be like, "Damn, I really needed that." So, hundred percent. That was Nana Kwame Brenya. Keep an eye out for his forthcoming novel, Chain Gang All-Stars, arriving April 2023 on Penguin Random House. By the way, the quote I read earlier is from Women Who Run With the Wolves. Mom's copy at that. <laughs> this long awaited episode three of Flowers for Linda was recorded in my New York City apartment with help from my mama, Linda Monroe, tapping in from the other world. And I gotta believe Dennis was here too. That little theme song clip. These are some flowers for Linnea, was sung by my bestie, Maya Asusena. This beat right here was made by my brother, Black Finn, and trying to help this DIY sound, you know, sound a little bit better, is my homie, Tatenda, from another man production. Thanks for hanging out with us.